All minds at peace? All right. I'll try to lead us in order of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of gathering here together with your saints. Father, I thank you that you are so merciful to us and that your goodness is new every morning. And Father, that there's no limit on your supply. And so, Father, I, I, I know that there are many physical needs among us. And Father, I just pray that you'd be merciful. Father, heal where it gives you pleasure to heal and give grace where, it, where you would allow us to continue to endure. And Father, I pray that you would open up the right doors um, for... Uh, medicine or treatment or however it is that you would remove in these situations. Father, we just pray that your will be done. In the meantime, we would be patient and trust you. Father, we know that your ways are higher than ours and Father, that you love us and Lord, we just give us the grace to um, to lean in and trust you even during these hard times. Father, I pray that you'd be with our upcoming meeting and all the meetings of the little churches that are around. Father, I pray that your spirit would be there you would bless your ministers to preach the truth of the gospel, Lord, and that your sheep would be fed and edified. And Father, if it please you, that you would just grant there to be uh, a massive revival across our churches and across this land, Lord, that we would just yearn to be in your presence and to see your glory each day. And Father, that we would um, just hunger and desire to know more about our Lord. Father, I pray that you be with this service now. Father, we need you. We need you every time we gather. And so I just pray that you would be magnified, that your name would be high and lifted up, and that you would just be merciful to us once again. Father, we come here to worship your name, so Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Alright, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Brother Jerry, if you can't hear me, just give me a little ear signal. I'll try and speak louder. New. Psalm 118. 118. 118. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Brothers and sisters, do you have something to give thanks to the Lord about today? Absolutely. For He is good. There's a lot of things in this world that you could focus on, that you could seek after, that you could pursue. Some of them are right. Some are downright sorry. But the Lord is good. He is the definition of good. There is nothing about Him that is, that is corrupt, nothing that's vile, nothing that will let you down. He is good. Good. You have something to give thanks for, and so that's what we're going to try to do this morning is give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Does God's mercy have a time expiration? Does it have a, a, a delay where if you don't cash in by some time, it's now no good? No. Warranties today. You bought that washer. I'm sorry, it's day 12, month 12, day 2. You're out of luck, right? The warranty's expired. God doesn't operate that way. He's good and His mercy endures for forever. Forever is a long time. You're like, well, yeah. But how often do we get kind of short with God because He's not handling things the way we think He ought to on our timeline? He's good. 
His mercy endures, goes on, continues for forever. I mean, that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell, right? He knew who you were. He knew what you were. He knew that you were a sinner, that you were vile, that you were gross, and yet he put his love upon you before you even existed. And that mercy is going to continue for forever. And he knew that you needed a Savior, that you could not clean yourself up, you could not make yourself holy and worthy, and so he sent his only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, to come to take on human flesh and to die for your sins. That's mercy. That's a mercy. That's not, not a limited mercy. That's not a teaspoon of mercy. This is an ocean of mercy that has no bottoms. It can't be, you can't find the depth of this mercy. It's that big, and it continues on for forever. So do you have something to give thanks for today? You do! And yet we're often in the mully grubs, right? And we're focusing on the little bits of inconvenience. You know, you ever go out to the ocean, you look at how big it is. Imagine that ocean. We just use that illustration. That ocean is the depth of his mercy. And we get a little bit out of shape because we get some sand in between our toes. Right? That's how big all our problems are. Is that little bit of sand in between our toes and you've got this ocean of mercy to wash it away. One day we're just going to be bathed in that completely. And that's what heaven's going to be. There won't be, any, there won't be any sand or discomfort there. An ocean of mercy. Oh, give thanks in the Lord for He's good because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say His mercy endureth forever. Now we know this psalm is written talking about natural Israel, but we also understand from the New Testament there is a concept as spiritual Israel. You say, well, what's that? That is a term that describes the entire family of God. Every man, woman, and child for whom God gave to His Son and His Son came and bled and died for, they are Israel. All right? They are spiritual Israel. They are the elect family of God. So you as children of God, family of God, let you now say, His mercy endureth forever. I didn't hear you. Let his mercy endureth forever. We need to say that, yes, that his mercy endures forever. That's something we should acknowledge. We need to remember. We've got to recalibrate. Because when you're focusing out here at the world, you can get mighty discouraged. Now, didn't he just say that the previous verse? Why in the world did the Lord repeat himself? Why do teachers repeat themselves? Why do mamas and daddies repeat themselves? A lot of preachers repeat themselves. Because <laughs> sometimes we need to hear something more than once before we go and apply it. Right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for His good because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endureth forever. Does His mercy endure forever? Yes. You better believe it. Let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. All right, who under the Old Testament were authorized to be the priests? The house of Aaron. You had to be a descendant of Aaron. Do you know what God has made you? Kings and priests. You are now in the service of the Lord. You are worshiping Him. You are actively... There's no priest in between you and God, all right? There's you, there's Christ, there's God. He's the mediator, but there's no other man. You don't need me to worship God. You are a priest in and of yourself. And so in this sense, let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endure forever. That's you! As priests, as priests, you're to know the word and you're to live it out and you're to teach others. That was one of the jobs of the priests in the Old Testament was to teach the word. 
Is it just my job as a preacher to teach the word? No, children, it's not. Right? Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endureth forever. So, at one time, Israel and the house of Aaron, that was talking about a big group of people and then a smaller group. Now, we know spiritually, it's the same group. The children of God, the family of God. They are the house of Israel. They are the house of Aaron. It's the same. Verse 4, Let them now that fear the Lord say, His mercy endureth forever. Do you know who fears the Lord? The Lord's people. Those who have been born again, they now will fear the Lord. Is that fear talking about, God's going to squish me like a bug and I'm terrified. Is that what it means, boys? No, this is a fear of love and awe and respect. The same way that a young child should fear their father, not because he's going to destroy them, but because of the great love he has for them and the great respect he has for them. Right? That you are looking to that Father. And you have a heavenly Father who loves you perfectly. And that's who we should fear. Because if you don't really fear the Lord, you don't have a high enough opinion of Him. Right? He is way more holy than you are. He is way more powerful than you are. And His love is so deep and so vast for you, you can't even comprehend it. And it's for you. Do, you. do you have cause to fear the Lord? And I'm saying this in a very positive sense. You do. If you don't fear the Lord today, we need to recalibrate our expectation of how high God is. We need to exalt Him farther in our mind and in our hearts and in our lives. He is worthy of all praise. Sometimes we use that phrase and just kind of throw it out there like a catchphrase, like a billboard or a bumper sticker. No, He really is! Alright? His mercy endureth forever. So who's saying that? All of us, all of his children, all of us are acknowledging that his mercy endures forever. He's good, and his mercy endures forever. All them that fear the Lord. So these are characteristics of what the child of God does. He fears the Lord. All right? In a good sense, again. Verse 5. I called upon the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, about you have direct access to the one who has solutions, right? Sometimes we like to talk to each other, right? You can talk to me, and I can be sympathetic. I can care about your problem, but you know, more often than not, I don't have a solution for y'all's problems. (laughs) But you know who I can direct you towards? The one who does, all right? And you have the ability to go to him directly. You've got the ability to go to someone who has power and authority, the means of solving problems, even if his answer to that is you're going to continue through this problem. And he loves you. Is that someone who's worthy of your trust? Worthy of your respect? Yes, worthy of you reaching out to him. Right, right. You don't call up someone for help, but you know they can't handle it. Right? They're not competent. They don't have the power. They may kind of give you a pity party, but they can't fix the problem. But here you have someone who is. And so here the psalmist, I've called upon the Lord in my distress. This is past tense. I've done this. Y'all ever called upon the Lord in distress? Yes. That's what we are to do. And what does he do? He answers me. Does he answer you exactly how you tell him to? No. Put your expectation of him higher. Okay. His ways are so much higher than yours. His thoughts are way much higher than yours. Boys and I saw a a rocket ship go off. We were standing here. We saw one go up from, from the cave. It was so cool. You know how far we could see it? Just two or three seconds. And then it was gone. Did that rocket ship cease to exist when I couldn't see it? 
Now, some of the SpaceX ones go boom, and then they do cease to exist. But <laughs> as far as I know, this one continued on. It continued beyond my sight. That's a good illustration for what we can see. Y'all, our thoughts, they kind of get about to the horizon, maybe a little bit above. But the Lord's thoughts and plans and designs and, and his ways of accomplishing things and his ends are that much higher. That arc goes you know, beyond the known universe. All right? That's how high he is. So call on him in your distress and trust him for his answer, which could just be wait. Or it could be, I'll handle this, and I'm already am, and you just have to wait and see. Or the answer could be, no, you're asking for something that's really not best. So I'm calling upon the Lord in distress, and he answered me, and he set me in a large place. So this example of the psalmist has called, he's in a straight betwixt two. Right, that's some Bible language. It means between a rock and a hard place. Lord, I'm stuck. I got trouble over here, and trouble over here, and trouble over here, and trouble over here. Lord, I need help. I'm in distress. So the Lord answered me, and he plucked me up. And he put me in a large place, a place where I had room, a place of safety. Okay? Verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Now, there's been a lot of armies through history that says, Come on, the Lord's on our side. And I can't verify that he was. Sometimes a lot of things have been done in the name of the Lord that were vile and heinous. But you know what? If you're one who's fearing the Lord and you're calling on the Lord in distress and he's put his love upon you, then you're on his side. And if you're on his side, then he is on your side and you don't have to fear what man will do to you. Right? What's the worst thing man can do? Kill you. I mean, that's it. I mean, there may be some bamboo shoots or some other unpleasantness before then, but at the end of the day, all they've really got is they can take your life. But as a follower of Christ, is that really even, does it really even hurt you? No, right? Paul said that to live is Christ. As long as I'm here, I have the opportunity to serve Christ. One more day to serve Him. And if I die, it's gain. I mean, it's like, imagine getting that winning lottery ticket and it's a whoo! I mean, but on a massively better scale, right? To die is gain. Why do I have to fear men? Do we often fear men? Yeah, why? Well, because we're not focused on the one who's in charge, right? The Lord is on my side. Why is he on my side? Because I'm on his side. And I'm doing the things that please him, and I'm serving him, and I'm trying to bring him glory. And you know what that's going to happen in the world when you're doing that? You're going to have some opposition. All right? What happened to your master? He had a lot of opposition. First in tongue and then in deed, and then they killed him. All right? He told you, don't be surprised if the world hates you. If you're standing fast for the truth, you should expect some blowback. All right? But do you have to fear him? No. If you're on the Lord's side, then he's on your side. All right? And you don't have to fear what men will do. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. How's that for a good illustration for the church? Them that help me. What are we to do, brothers and sisters, when we're in distress? Help one another. That's part of the role of the church. You, Christ has told you to love one another as much as I have loved you. And so you help. You know what? 
The Lord's taking our part together. Along with them that help me, the Lord taketh my part. So we can have hard times together, but the role that we have is to mutually support. When one is crying amongst us, we cry with them. When one is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. You know what? That takes some vulnerability to open up and let folks know what's going on. If we all keep on these kind of ivory-towered facades of, well, there's nothing wrong with me. And we didn't have a fight in the car on the way here to church. And, <laughs> right? Then how can anyone really be helpful to you if you're not going to open up yourself to be loved in the hard times, if there's no hard times from appearances? Y'all, are you all going to have hard times? Yeah. yeah. If you've been awake, <laughs> you're ready to have hard times, right? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. All right. At the end, at the great judgment throne, there will be a separation. All those that Christ has died for, he will have. They will be clothed in white. They will be spotless. They will be pure, holy without blame, before him in love. They will be his for all eternity. And there are those who are not among that number who actively hate him now because the carnal mind is at enmity with God and they will continue to hate him and they will revile him on that day. They'll recognize he's Lord then, but they'll continue to hate him the same way that they'll hate you if you stand for what's right. And on that day, you'll see the desire of your heart is that God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. He's a God of justice. And the God of righteousness. And so for everyone whose debt has not been fully paid by Christ, he will mete out his justice and wrath. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's not your job or mine to dish out vengeance. All right? That's why we're told to love our enemies. Bless those that curse us, do good to those who despitefully use us and persecute us. All right? It's not our job to get even, to make it right. God's going to take care of it. If they're his children, even though you, they've done you such great wrong, that sin's been paid for too. If they're not, the worst is coming. All right? And so you don't have to, on that day, feel squeamish. In our carnal sense, we kind of, ah, oh, that just, that feels a little hard. But on that day, I assure you that you will be saying, holy, holy, holy. Our God is just. I won't be sad for anyone for whom wrath has fallen. I will be rejoicing because God is holy. And I'll be rejoicing with all the saints that He and His sovereign mercy chose and redeemed us. He didn't have to. That's where we all deserve to be. And if we were there, all we could say then is that He's holy. Holy, holy. Alright? So I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. So there are those who will hate you. And that's okay. Don't expect to receive better treatment than your master. Alright? But you'll see your desire upon them because your desire will be the same as your desire of your Heavenly Father. All right? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Is it better to trust the Lord than to put your trust in men? Amen. Yes! What will men invariably do? Let you, down. Let you down! Right! We're flawed. We're sinners. Even the best among us are flawed sinners. All right. Where does your stability come from? From the Lord, because He doesn't change. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of putting your confidence in Him. 
He does not get blown apart. He doesn't get emotionally wrecked. He doesn't um, fail. Men will fail. Don't be surprised when they do. It's part of the reason there's so many admonitions about within the church of forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Why? Because there's going to be failures on other parts and on your part. Right? This is Sometimes we listen with ears for other people's issues. Listen with ears for us. Right? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 118. We're down to verse 9. Alright? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now, we don't have many princes today, but you know what we have instead? Politicians. It's like trying to build a suspension bridge out of spider web. <laughs> it just don't work. Alright? You don't have to be distressed when the wrong people are elected. If the right ones are elected, they're not going to make it that much better either. All right? We're still going to have a world full of sinners. All right? So don't put your hope and your confidence and your securement and stability in this world in men, in people who think they have power. Who ultimately has the heart of the king in his hand? The Lord! And he can turn it whithersoever he will. Trust him! Rest in Him. Be secure in Him. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Verse 10. All the nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. I'm going to read you this and then we'll make a few comments. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. All right. Go over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20-ish. Yeah, chapter 20. There's a picture here. And I want you to listen to the imagery of it and see if you hear a similarity to what we just read. Revelation 20. Start reading verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. So across the whole earth. Gog and Magog, to gather together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up from the breadth of the earth, and they compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil is cast in the lake of the fire, where the beast and the false prophet had already been tossed, tormented there and day and night forever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no more place for them. And you've got the great judgment there upon the throne. So you've got this scene where the saints are compassed about. Now to have somebody compass you about, you've got to have a whole lot of folk. Right? That's a big old number. So let's go back to Psalm 18 and read. All the nations compassed me about but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them they compassed me about yea they compassed me about but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them they compassed me about like bees y'all ever got into a ground wasp nest something where they're just <laughs> all around you right? but they are quenched as the fire of thorns you put thorns in the fire and they start popping and rattling and burn up real quick for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. I think this is a 
pretty good word picture looking like that other word picture. Do I understand Revelation completely? Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm not so prideful to tell you I do. But I like seeing patterns. And I know who wins. And I know here, though you've got all the nations at once, every living one who's on this planet tries to go against the Lord at one time. Guess who loses? They do. In the name of the Lord, I'll destroy them. You've got fire coming down and quenching them like thorns. The Lord wins. His mercy endures forever, and He's worthy of your trust. The Lord wins! Y'all, we shouldn't be mully-grubby people. We shouldn't be down in the dumps and frustrated and bent out of shape because what we think ought to be happening right now isn't going on. Right? You're still on the Lord's side. You know who wins? The Lord! 100% of the time. In baseball, they get excited if your team's winning 60% of the time. Man, you got the best record in baseball. Woo-hoo! That's a little bit better than a coin flip, right? The Lord, 100%. He wins. Now, from our perspective, it may not feel like that, but that's just a flaw in our perspective because we can't see the big picture. All right? He has a long game that's beyond our little mortal brains. All right? I mean, he wrote a story using many, many penmen over thousands of years, and it's a complete single story, all focused on his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Could men do that? No. Not a chance. Verse 13. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. So here, you're, the psalmist is speaking directly to his enemies. Ones who are, you know, you ever had somebody just kind of picking at you, poking at you, right? This is a lot stronger than that, all right? This is not, okay, the persecution that you or I may get in this time of history is kind of limited to tongue lashing, right? You may have some, well, I don't like you, and you're just a, a bigot or whatever. That's about as far as it goes. I mean, no one's coming to confiscate our property, as church grounds, our individual property, or throw us in jail, or torture us until we walk away from being a follower of Christ. No one's doing that. Has that been true through most of history? No. For most of history, it's been the exact opposite. It's been a very dangerous gig to be a follower of Christ. Right? When it said, take up your cross, that wasn't just metaphorical language. It means there was a real threat of death. Is Christ worth that to you today if there is real cost? So why do we have such nominal Christianity today? Well, it's real easy. He can pick it up. He can lay it down. If you don't like the way this church does this, go down the road. There's another one. Right? There's no cost, really. And so when the Psalms are saying, thou hast thrust sore at me, I mean, this is the idea of like someone's literally trying to stab me with spears or swords or whatever. But even in the midst of that, how's he being sustained? Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. It's not I, I you know, tied up my own bootstraps and I, I got, got strong and I just kind of bullied through it. But the Lord's the one who's sustaining me. Oh, who, do we, who do we need to put our confidence in today? The Lord said, Preacher, you're repeating yourself. Yeah! Who do we forget to put our confidence in most days? The Lord! Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. 
Where does any strength that you have come from? The Lord. And this is not just talking about your natural arm. Now that comes from the Lord too. If you have breath right now, if you've got one more breath, then where it came from? The Lord gave it to you. If you take that breath away, you know what happens? You drop dead. (laughs) The end. But He is your strength. He is the one that sustains you day in and day out. And He's your song. You have something to sing about. Something to rejoice about. And guys, when we come together to sing, it's to sing. Alright, this is not just going through an exercise. This is not the warm-ups before we get to church and then we can go to lunch. This is, we're coming to worship God with our lips, with our mouth, with our tongue, because He's worthy of it. Right? And these songs that they teach us and admonish us and they're letting the Word dwell within us, that's, that's why we have such great songs. We can, folks take great care in, in curating those to make sure they're scripturally sound. I like the Brother Bryce, when, when he has a new piece submitted to him to put music to, he wants to show me the Scripture. Show me what the backup is. I want to see what your inspiration trove because it needs to come from the Word. And so the Lord is our song, and we should be singing to Him, singing to Him boldly, right? If we don't care if the world is going to kill us over this belief, should we really care that much if we've got a croaky-sounding voice here amongst our brothers and sisters who love us as much as Christ loves the church, right? And if you're irritated because someone's off-key, you need to love them more. That's a you issue, not a them issue. Right? The Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation, my deliverer, my deliverance. Where does your salvation come from? The Lord. Right? If you're trying to put yourself into that equation, your math is off. All right? You've added in an imaginary number. It doesn't work there. The Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. Tabernacles, that's the tents. Hey, guess what? You know why it didn't say your houses? Because you're just passing through here. You're a pilgrim, a sojourner. You're one on a camping trip and it's prolonged. It's going to last the length of your life and then you're going to go home. But what's going on inside your tents? Is it woe and discouragement and fear and angst? No. It's rejoicing and salvation because you know the truth of what Christ has done. You have something to rejoice in. Rejoice is the active verb of joy. You are rejoicing. You are giving Him praise and honor in your tents, in your homes. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. That's what you're rejoicing about. Who's the right hand of the Lord? I'll give you a hint. He sits on the right hand of the Lord. Right? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ, second person in the Trinity. He doeth valiantly. Okay? The right hand. Now also in Scripture, the right hand is, a, is a, the metaphor for strength. Alright? Benjamin, the son of my right hand, the son of strength. Right? The expressed image of the invisible God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He doeth valiantly. Valiantly, that's, that's brave. That's with courage. Y'all, if you knew exactly what was going to happen this week and all the hardship you would go through, you think you'd get out of bed? Me neither. <laughs> Lord withholds things from us. So if we knew all those steps we were going through, no thanks, Lord, I'll just stay here, right? We're, we're kind of cowardly, right? But the Lord Jesus, He knew what He was going to go through. 
He knew when he was in that garden and he was praying for strength and his physical, earthly, human form was being pressed down by that weight so much that angels had to come and minister to him. He knew what he was going to go through. So much so that he asked his father, Lord, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine. So he was obedient even unto death and he knew exactly what he was going to go through. Down to every insult. Every drop of spit that was going to be going on his face. Every hair that was going to be plucked off. Every punch. Every whip stroke. The nails that would pierce through his hand and his feet and have his side punctured. He knew it all. Did he do valiantly? Yes, because he went through it. For you. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. You have something to rejoice in. There is salvation in your tents. In your dwellings, and there should be. This should be the core theme of our lives, not only in here, but in our homes, in our jobs, and everywhere in between. This is the central truth of life. Y'all, we get discouraged when we forget that. And we start making our matchstick plans, and we get bent out of shape when a strong breeze comes and knocks them over. Here's the rock. Here's the truth. Here's the one who doesn't change. It's the right hand of the Lord. He doeth valiantly. Verse 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. It's mean to be exalted, boys. Lift it up. The right hand of... I mean, went into a grave and the body remained there for three days. And then he arose. And he was seen of his disciples for 40 days. Upwards of 500 at a single time. And then he arose even further. And he's sitting on the right hand of the Father with everything already under his feet. All kings and principalities and powers and mights and dominion. Everything you got is under Christ. And while you can't see that clearly yet, you can see it by faith. There's one day where it will be made plain. And so he's currently exalted. He's currently lifted up. He's currently the head of all things. He's the head of this church and every other local body and church across the globe. And one day we're going to get together and we're going to have a big meeting. And nobody's going to be sick. Nobody's going to be absent. And the singing's going to be amazing. And we won't get tired or wonder when is this thing going to stop. It's going to be the perfect church service. This is going to go on. Well, forever. You don't like church here. You might not enjoy heaven, right? Folks who are upset about our, our doctrine, well, you enjoy church. Heaven's going to be great. If church is tedious and boring for you, I don't think you'd want to be there anyway. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. This is like the third expression we've had repeated. On repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Does the right hand of the Lord do it valiantly? Yes, Christ is courageous. Christ was, I mean, what greater love can you have than to lay down your life for your friend? And he did it for all his friends. And he's called you his friends. Isn't that amazing? That the God of this universe who'd come down to be a man would call you his friend because he's told you his will. The master doesn't tell the will to the servant said, but I tell you that I'm telling you my will, and I'm calling you friends. You have a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ. An elder brother 
Y'all, this is special. And we take it for granted. I take it for granted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Verse 17, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now this is, this is in the Old Testament. And the things that we have opened up like, like a flower has bloomed so pretty in the New Testament where we see the glory of the gospel and how Christ has been working for so, so long, it's still largely veiled at this point. You kind of got the bud, but it hasn't opened up. And yet here, even the psalmist says, I shall not die, but live. Now, did that psalmist physically die? Yes. And will we, most likely, physically die unless Christ will die? Yes. But what does it mean we shall live? It means when Christ gives us that new birth where he puts his Holy Spirit within us and we are created a new creature, that creature goes on for forever. When our body goes to the ground for a time, our soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. And we live. And what are we going to be doing there? Declaring his works. Declare the works of the Lord. Even old Job, one of the oldest books in scriptures, he didn't know it all. Right? The, the Old Testament folks, they wanted to know, but they didn't have it all. But he knew that he was going to see his Lord, that his Redeemer liveth. And he was going to see him, even though the skin worms were going to eat his body. What a gross image, right? I'm just going to be decomposed. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. Wow. So though I die, I shall not die. So that's kind of a paradox. Yeah, it's eternal life. I shall not die but live, and I shall declare the works of the Lord. So what do you think your job is here? To declare the works of the Lord. Well, preacher, that's your job. Yes, it is. But that's not an exclusive job. If you're a child of God, if you're part of that family of spiritual Israel, one who fears the Lord, who's been born again, and you have eternal life that you're going to have and experience to declare the works of God, that doesn't that gig doesn't start when you're in heaven. That starts now because that's what you're doing. You're rejoicing in this. You're putting your trust in this. It's affecting you now. It should be on your lips because we spend a lot of time talking about really inferior things, right? Why not focus? On the best. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over to death. Now, who does the Lord chasten? His children. Right, we see that in New Testament explains that if you're chastened by the Lord, congratulations, you're a son. The Lord only chastens his children. I, I chase them, my children. I love them. I teach them right from wrong. I don't go down to the neighbor's house and jerk a knot in the tail of their children, right? <laughs> I'm sure they're fine children, but I don't love them. They're not mine, right? The Lord, if he's ever chastened you, if he chastens you, if he corrects you and teaches you, rejoice in that, and he loves you. You say, well, I don't really feel like rejoicing when I'm getting chastened. Well, when I was getting a whooping from my father, I didn't really feel overly happy too. But now looking back, I can see he did that because he loved me. And he did it to teach me. So I would bring forth the fruits of righteousness. That's the same thing your heavenly father does. Only he does it with infinite love or patience. Unlike me as an earthly father, I, I fail. Sometimes I'll chase him because I've been out of shape or having a bad day or whatever. But he does it perfectly. It's always for your good and mine. And so that can be quite unpleasant. And, you know, No chasing him is pleasant for the moment. 
But in the end, it brings forth a fruit, and that fruit of righteousness. He's teaching you to live right. What is right? The Lord hath chastened me sore. That doesn't sound overly pleasant. But he hath not given me over to death. Now, can the Lord's chastening be unto physical death? Yeah, it sure can. You see that example in the Corinthian church. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were treating it like a, a drunken party. All right, it was, you know, that was how the Gentiles and their idols, they had just kind of Bacchus, raunchy parties. They were doing that at church at communion time. They're fighting over who's going first, and they're getting drunk and passing out. Just He said, and for this cause, some of you are sick, and some of you sleep. Now, by sleep, he meant they were dead. All right? Does that mean they were not children of God? No, not necessarily. So the consequences may be up to... You've disobeyed so much, the Lord may chasten you unto your death. But, does he ever cast off his children? No. I shall not die, but live. He is not going to cast me off. Right? He's bought me. He's paid for me. I'm secure in the Father's hand, and no man can pluck me out of it. Alright? I can't pluck me out of it. And you got a whole list over there in Romans of things that cannot separate you from the love of God. So he may chasten you sore, and it may hurt, but learn from it. Don't be discouraged and doubt the fact that you're in his love and care and tender affection. Don't doubt your salvation about it. Learn from it, but rest assured that he knows his, and he is not going to cast him off. Okay? He hath not given me over to death. Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. He is going to open those gates. He's promised. The Lord promised that I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to be where I am. That's talking about our literal bodies are going to be changed into something that's perfect. Right? Y'all ever have any aches and pains? Any things that in your body that don't work just quite right and as you get older it just seems to kind of fall apart more and more? Right? That's kind of that's the human experience, right? These bodies weren't made to last. All right? They're single use. Your next iteration, 2.0 version, is an enduring body. One that does not have an expiration date, where it doesn't wear out, where you don't need spare parts. Right? That's what he has prepared for you. And one day he is going to take you and bring you with your transformed body and soul and spirit. All that whole package, one at a time, is going to bring you in to his gates and into his righteousness. All right. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. Do you have something to praise the Lord about? Yes, praise Him now because He's worthy of trusting Him until we get there. If our hope in that was based on men, oh, heaven help us if it's on ourselves, we'd have a lot to worry about. Right? But it's on Him and He's trustworthy. He's competent. He's capable. And he has the character where he doesn't change. He, he doesn't lie to you. He even cannot lie to you. Right. I will go into them. Open up the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. Do you know who the gate is? That's a word picture for Jesus Christ himself. All right. Do you want to know why the world will find what you believe so offensive? Because it's singular. If you say that Jesus is a way, folks won't get upset. If you talk about God in general, folks won't get upset. 
because that's your truth, your opinion, and I've got mine over here. But when you start declaring Jesus is the truth, the way, the light, the Son of God, He is God Himself, then you're going to have some eyebrows start going up and some necks start getting flexed and upset. Those are offensive doctrines to the world. But they're true. He's the way, the gate. There is no other. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. There's a whole lot of other options out there, but they don't lead anywhere. Just to ruin. One. Is the world going to hate you for that? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Should we get scared and timid and not declare the works of God because somebody doesn't like it? No. What are you going to do? Be afraid of them? What can they do to you? Send you to be with your Lord. Oh, Lord. You think you won. That's like Satan. As Christ is hanging on the cross, he's probably doing a happy dance, thinking, I'm winning. And for three days, he may even have that party, but he'd already lost. He didn't even know it. What can men do to you? Not a thing. Not that's lasting. They can't undo the work of Christ. Certainly can't defeat him. The grave of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. Who's going to enter? The righteous. Israel. Those that fear the Lord. Your spiritual house of Aaron. Those that fear the Lord. All these people. The righteous. Because you were so great? No, because he was so great. And he put his righteousness upon you. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Will you praise the Lord today? Yes. Yes, you should. And you should tomorrow and the day after that. Because he's heard you. What does that mean? That means you're praying to him. And he's listening. And he hears you. And he's become your salvation. Any deliverance that you experience is from him. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Y'all probably heard that a bunch. Do you know that's where it came from? That's fun. When I, when I, I like that. When I find nuggets, like, hey, I know that. And, you know, if I'm actually studying out that, I'll go see it. But to come and see it in context, that gate, that stone, the thing that the world's going to hate, you know, Christ came. The reference to that is he came and the, the muckety-mucks, the religious leaders, the ones who knew the most about the Old Testament, the ones who were righteous in their own eyes, were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. They were looking for a deliverer. Here comes Jesus and said, no, we don't want that. That don't fit the expectation that we have. That's going to be offensive. That might get us in trouble with the Romans. We'll lose our place and our power. You know what? You need to go away. You won't go away. Okay, we better kill you. For, for, for the sake of the nation. You know. And Jesus told them that. you know That which the builders rejected. So that context, they were the builders. That stone that they said, no, this one ain't what we're looking for. God makes. That's the chief cornerstone. You know what the purpose of the cornerstone is? Is that's what lines up all the other walls on what's straight, what's true, what's plumb. Up and down, vertical, horizontal. Everything is based on that stone. What do you gauge your life on of what is straight and what is upright and what is proper and what is good, you go back to that cornerstone of Jesus Christ. 
He was rejected by the world, but the Father made him the cornerstone. He's the one that you are to look to. Verse 23 says, This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. That which man says is no, the Lord says is yes. And it's marvelous. This is a marvel. This is a wonder. This is something that don't let the truth of Jesus Christ become commonplace or sad or bland to you. This is marvelous. This is wonderful. This is more awe-inspiring than anything that you will ever see with your natural eye until you see Him with your natural eye. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous. And so because that's true, verse 24, this is the day which the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in Him. Hey, this verse makes a whole lot of sense in context. Jesus Christ is King! He's exalted. He's lifted up on high. He's loved you. He's become the head of the corner and everyone sees what's right from Him whether you wanted to see it or not. And that's who you report to. And He's given you one more day where you're dwelling in your tents whether rejoicing and talking about His salvation. This is another day that He's made as a Creator. We'll rejoice in Him and be glad in it. Why? Because His salvation is real. Because His mercy endures forever. Because He's not going to let you go. Because even though He chastens you sore and you have hard times here, He's not going to give you under death. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You're His! And He's in charge. And that's who you report to. And that's who we're looking to. And that's why one day you'll see Him clearly. Right now it's darkly. It's through the eye of faith. You see through a glass darkly. But one day we'll see clearly and see him as we're currently seen by him. He doesn't see through a glass darkly back at us. It's like that one-way mirror. He sees us clearly down to our thoughts and our hearts. There's nothing to be hid from God, but we will see him clearly. So rejoice. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know what you're going through today, but don't be discouraged. You know the one who's in charge. And He loves you. And there's something He gave that was so precious that He didn't hold it back for you. Do you think He's not going to continue to care and sustain you until He brings you to Him? He will! Because His mercy endures for forever. There's not a limit. There's not a tap out. There's like, nope, no more. No matter what you've done, His mercy continues. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. The psalmist is going through something hard. I don't know what it was for him, and I don't know what it is for you, but it's okay to call out for the Lord in that hard time. Save me, I'm begging you. Save me, O Lord, I beseech thee, and send now prosperity. Now, this is not a prosperity doctrine by any means, not this earthly stuff. We may have grace where we're allowed to endure hard times, and those hard times may go away for a time. But the prosperity that we're looking forward to is that which doesn't go away. That's an inheritance. That's, that's undefiled. You have a wealth of riches in the Lord reserved for you, and you will be with Him. That's the prosperity of the sin. Lord, send that. In other words, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Or take me to you. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Who's coming in the name of the Lord? The Lord himself, whose name is truth and faithful and righteous. He is 
He is the King. He's the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And He's coming. And He's coming in the name of the Lord because even in that, He's still obedient to the Father and doing the Father's will. He's coming. Bless be Him. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. What are we doing here today? We're trying to bless the Lord. Bless our Jesus Christ. Know that He is high and lifted up. So let us praise Him and say, we've been praising you. We've been looking for you. Here He comes. God is the Lord which hath shown us light. Y'all, were we in great darkness? Yes, each of us in our life, we experienced great darkness. That's, that's the imagery for being dead in trespasses and sins. You didn't know what light was. You lived in darkness. You go in one of those caves where you, you cover up even your watch so it doesn't have any of the illumination on there and you can't see your face. That's how dark we were. That's how uh, ignorant we were of all God. And yet He comes with His Holy Spirit and He shines His light upon you. And you can see light for the first time and you know what's true and what's real. He did that. God is the Lord and He hath shown us light. Though we walked in great darkness, we are now people who have seen great light. So walk in that light. Live in that light. Share that light. Let it shine out of you. That little children's song. Let your Christian light shine. Do it! Because you're declaring His great works and what great things He's done. Why? Because His mercy endures forever. Bind the sacrifice with cords even under the horns of the altar. Thou art my God and I will praise Thee. Thou art my God. I know we've talked about this before, but isn't that a bold statement to be able to make? That the God of all this universe is your God? Your God. That's, that's, that's a possessive. You know why He's your God? Because He took you and made you His. He adopted you. But before He adopted you, He cleaned you up. Like filthy little street urchins, we were cleaned up. We were bathed and washed in the blood of Christ. That sacrifice that He atoned for us. He covered our sins and put them away. And now we're clean. And we're in His family. And you can cry out, Abba, Father. I won't use the word Abba, but it means Father. Father. So when you cry to your Heavenly Father in prayer, that's not just a, you know, dear so-and-so, right? We use the term dear in letters. It's just a form, right? You're not actually saying this is dear. Dear judge, I'd like to get out of jury duty. Judge is not dear to you. You just want to get out of jury duty, right? Sometimes you treat your Heavenly Father that way. Dear Heavenly Father, this is the opening to the letter of this formal prayer. Heavenly Father. Think about that. You're going to your Father who knows you and loves you and cares about what you're going through and has made great and precious promises to you that you can rely upon here and He'll often use that in your prayers to remind you of those things that you've read in His Word to encourage you and turn you back to Him. Our Father, Thou art my God. And what will I do? I will praise Thee. When it's convenient... When I feel like it, I'll praise thee. Is he always worthy of praise? Yes! Our lives should be oozing with prayer and praise for our Lord. Thou art my God. I will exalt thee. Can you raise God higher than he already is? Not a chance. But can you acknowledge in your mind and in your heart and in your life that he is so high? You can't physically raise him any higher than he is but sometimes we get a distorted view where we act like God's down here or he's this small, he's this weak or sometimes that we're in charge 
Exalt Him means to acknowledge Him in His proper place. Lift Him up high in your mind and your heart. There's the Lord. That's who I serve. That's who I'm trusting on. That's who I'm dependent upon. All these other little folks around here who are trying to take me out and who hate me. Who am I trusting? What you going to do? Send me to Him? Okay. You say, Brother Jonathan, yes, this is real. Just because I'm shouting about it, it's real. This should affect our lives. It should. This should dramatically change our lives. You can latch onto these truths shank your teeth into them and not let it go what a difference each day can be I've been given one more day this is the day the Lord's made one more I get to rejoice and be glad in it because the Lord's still on his throne and he's coming back and he knows me and he loves me and I'm here to serve him that's a radically different perspective of oh no it's Monday (laughs) I gotta get through one more day I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill my coworkers. Oh, that's a radically different perspective, right? Thou art my God; I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. How did this psalm start? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good; for His mercy endures forever. Is God good? Yes. Is His mercy going to endure for forever? Yes. yes! So give thanks to the Lord about it! And don't stop. Lord bless you. Amen. How about this is the day? This is the day, alright? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice. Yeah.